All right, and welcome back. I'm Lance McFarland here with Dr. Benjamin Markham from the Stephenville Medical and Surgical Center. Dr. Markham, thank you for joining us again today. Happy to be back. All right, so I wanted to get started here. Uh, you know, we've been talking every other week about what's going on related to COVID-19 here in Stephenville and Erath, and <clears throat> I wanted to see uh, um, what kind of uh, turnaround are you seeing in the area with COVID test results? I know uh, the other day on a, a virtual thing that I saw with you on it, you said that there was a little bit of a dip in uh, positive cases. So are we seeing a turnaround? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a lull. You know, it's um, we've had less like a lower percentage positive. We've also had less people presenting for testing too, which means probably that there's less uh, exposures and less um, symptomatic people out there, which is good. You know, I mean, it's kind of the the number of people who are showing up for testing, I think is a good barometer for um, how much virus activity there is in the population. And so, you know, when we see that we're ordering less tests, then, um, then it's a good sign. So I think, I think that, probably just a little bit of a lull. Um, you know, I, I expect it will tick up a little bit in the fall when people kind of start to get back together again for school and things. But, but for now, it seems like the efforts we've been putting in have been working. Okay, so not necessarily a turnaround, but uh, something positive for the time being, at least. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, one thing you've seen kind of since the beginning, uh, even as far back as when this was, you know, just happening in China and in other places is uh, temperature taking. Um, I was curious, how effective would you say that temperature taking is in finding someone who is uh, COVID-19 positive and uh, maybe otherwise feeling OK? Somebody who does show up to school or shows up to work but gets her temperature taken. Um, right. Is that an effective way to kind of uh, parse out the people who are could be um, could have COVID-19? Yeah, I think it's one screening tool. You know, when you're talking about the symptoms that people have with COVID-19, it's, you know, temperature is just one of them. Yeah. Uh, the majority of people do have an elevation in temperature, and for some people that may be their only symptom. And so I think uh, a mild elevation in temperature is a good screening tool. You're going to miss some cases, but, you know, we need to use all the tools we have in our toolkit. Yeah. And certainly checking temperatures is a good tool because, um, the majority of people who have the infection are going to have a mild elevation in their temperature. Okay. And so that's why the CDC recommended um, screening for people at a temperature of 99.5 when we usually think of a, uh, a temperature being 100.4 or 38 degrees Celsius. Yeah. They even lowered it a little bit, 37.5 degrees, so like 99.5. Yeah. Um, uh, to, to be the kind of the threshold for, for then uh, checking if somebody has been exposed to or maybe even testing them for COVID. So something that you would uh, normally say, oh, I'm fine, that's just uh, one degree above normal, maybe right. could be a sign of something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just something we have to look at as when, it, when you look at the overall picture. You know, on, a, on an individual basis, temperature's not going to be super, well, it's not going to be foolproof, right? We're going to miss yeah. some cases. But on a population basis, just monitoring temperature, you can actually tell, like if, if you're monitoring a population in a school, for instance, where there's 1,000 kids, and you see all of a sudden, you know, there's a 5% increase in temperatures. Well, you can say, okay, well, hey, maybe we're having some virus activity here. We need to look really closely. And so, you know, if we can if we can kind of look at it on a population basis, yeah, um, then then we can actually glean some information that will help us prevent outbreaks and manage uh, manage our school. school okay. Attendance. Yeah. So the data from that can give you a, a, a idea of a larger picture rather than just an right. individual person. Right, yeah, you know, you think of it in, in two different senses. You think on the individual, right? Yeah. We all know the individual stories of people who get really, really sick and, 
and you think of your own self as an individual, but we also think of it in population sense. And, you know, that's, that's why, you know, we say wearing masks is helpful because, you know, it's not going to prevent every single case of COVID, but it's going to prevent a lot of them because we're going to decrease the disease burden in a whole population. Yeah. And so a lot of these things that we do are geared towards monitoring a population and less towards monitoring an individual. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, just for anyone who is considering using uh, temperatures, uh, always remember that, uh, you know, every thermometer kind of has a guide on it of where to add and right. subtract based on where you take the temperature as well. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to be a little bit a little bit cognizant of what you're taking. I mean, the gold standard is rectal temps, but we're not going to do that to yeah. kids every day who are trying sure, to go to sure. school, obviously, right? Yeah. Right. But, uh, but, um, you know, saying some of them are more trustworthy than others. Yeah. But uh, even even as a rudimentary um, testing modality, it could be helpful yeah. in helping to prevent um, uh, an outbreak in a school. Yeah, even if you're not worrying about the, like, little details, just like, right. you know. Right, um, yeah, right. About, think about it on a population basis. Yeah. Um, so what are, uh, you know, let's talk about school a little bit. What are the... You know, some places have decided to go ahead and push school back. Um, Stephenville mm-hmm. at this point uh, has not. But what are the benefits mm-hmm. of pushing back uh, in-person school? You know, a lot of people would say, well, if you push it back, you know, it's still going to be there. Um, is there a benefit right. to pushing it back a month or even just well, a couple of weeks? Well, you know, that's a, that's a tough question. And it, it's more of a philosophical question. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to kind of think, well, um, is pushing it back a month and see how the other schools around, how they do. Is, yeah. Does the activity skyrocket? But we also have to think about what our overall goal is. If our overall goal is for never anyone to ever become infected with COVID, then we absolutely should not have in-person school. Yeah. But if our goal is to try to exist in a world where COVID exists and manage to have our lives as closely normal as possible, well, then we need to start exploring how are we going to open and those kinds of things. Okay. If a school needs to buy, buy more time, and, you know, so, so Stephenville published a 29-page um, document that basically is a summary of all of the policies that they have developed, um, and I applaud them for doing that. It's a huge undertaking to try yeah. to anticipate every potential situation and put a policy in place to help prevent um, the spread of COVID amongst their students and staff. Uh-huh. But you're not going to be able to anticipate every situation. And so if a school like Comanche wants to say, okay, well, let's see how Stephenville does, and maybe we can learn, you know, for that month, um, then okay, you know, that's, that's yeah. fine. That's, that's, a, that's an um, attack to take. But I think ultimately what our goal ought to be is to get back to as close to normal real life as possible and learn as much as we can about how to prevent the virus. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that Dr. Brewster said on that video that you referenced earlier that I really appreciated was that, you know, we don't want people to be afraid of COVID. We want them to respect it. Yeah. And so we need to learn how to exist in our day-to-day life in a set, in a safe way um, while respecting this virus, knowing that some people are going to get infected and no pandemic lasts forever, right? So yeah. we're just going to have to do the best we can to get through what we can until the pandemic can end. And then, um, you know, then we can move forward. But as far as, as delaying a month, uh, I think it's kind of 50-50. You know, really, I think what you got to do is pay attention to the parents in your school district and try to do what's going to make them the most comfortable. Yeah. And if, if a school district, if their parents are like, look, we're just really not comfortable um, sending a bunch of kids to school, well, then, you know, you can delay the month and see how things go. Yeah. But uh, I think I think that's probably, if I were a superintendent, that's what I would be looking towards is, is towards uh, government 
government requirements first, but second, what do your parents want? Okay. And uh, we try to go with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when we talk about school, whether it's uh, ISD or here at Tarleton and other universities, one big thing, especially in the fall, is sports. Um, just in your opinion, do you see sports actually happening this fall? You know, that's a tough one. Um, the actual sport, if you if you are uh, paying close attention to symptoms and not letting kids who are sick play and trying to avoid spreading through a team, um, I think you can play the game. What I worry more about is, you know, getting a couple thousand people in the stands hollering and screaming, and, you know, all in front of each other. So, like, yeah. one of my friends who's a Baylor graduate um, texted me this week and was like, what do you think about Baylor football? This, And I'm a season ticket holder, uh-huh. you know, and so I usually go to the games. And I said, well, if you look at that, there's a map that Georgia Tech made that basically shows the prevalence of, of COVID-19 county by county all over the country. And if you look at McLennan County, which is where Waco is, yeah. um, if you get 100 people in a room, then there's a greater than 99% chance that somebody in that room has COVID. Yeah, okay. And if you put 40,000 people from all over the state in a stadium, and now they're all hollering and screaming, then I think you're going to have uh, – you know, a pretty rapid spread. So sports, maybe yes, but probably in an empty stadium. Yeah, and then, but, you know, where's you the know, value for the schools if right. there's no crowd? Right, and... right, right. You know, and I, I don't, um, you know, I don't envy these commissioners of the WAC and the Big 12 yeah. trying to make this decision. And you same for the superintendents, everybody. I mean, these are hard, hard decisions, and there's really no win. Yeah. You know, you either, you either decimate the season or you put people at risk. And so it's um, it's a really tough spot. Yeah, but I think if I were making the call, I would say they can play as long as they have really stringent protocols about monitoring their players, but probably need to play to an empty stadium. Okay, okay. Um, you know, uh, as far as COVID goes in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, shutdowns are starting to happen in other places again. Um, do you see that happening here, or how close could we be to another uh, statewide shutdown? Like we you saw know, back that's in a good April. Question. I, I think, you know, there was so much pushback from the last one. It's going to uh-huh. have to be pretty disastrous. Just just paying attention to the political, this, you know, not, not based on my medical opinion, but paying attention to the political landscape. I think we're going to have to be in big trouble before they're going to shut down to the degree that we did in April and May. Yeah. Now, the good news is we've all had time to put contingency plans into place so that you know, if we start to get out of control case numbers, we kind of know how to handle that as a medical community. And so I don't think we have to legislate um, social distancing, but, you know, mask use and social distancing and that kind of the, the public's responsibility is it's becoming more widely adopted, I think, mm-hmm. all over the country. And so I think there's a good chance that if people just do what they're supposed to do, then, then we won't have it again. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing I see when I look at, um, say, statistics and data is it's kind of hard to know exactly, you know, what's the most significant uh, data point that just a regular person should be looking at, you know, to kind of see where things are, like number of deaths, number of just cases, number of um, people who have gotten better. Gosh, that's a tough one, you know, because we don't really know the actual death rate because we don't know the actual case rate. So to know the actual death percentage rate, you have to know how many people actually have an infection in the population. And we don't have testing that's widespread enough to know that. 
Yeah. So the 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 death rate, like a percentage, is probably not very valuable. Okay. The actual numbers of death is much more valuable. But also, I think if you know, for me, what I'm paying attention to is the number of ICU admissions. Okay. Because that tells me how sick a population is. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of people who get over COVID, but they have lifelong um, impairments that are going to last forever. I mean, their lungs are damaged, their kidneys are damaged, they're on dialysis now they had a blood clot that um you know damaged half their lungs or they had a heart attack or whatever it is really um so so i think you know the death rate i mean it you can look at the numbers and it can and it can kind of tell you how prevalent it is in the population but as a physician what i'm paying close attention to just for knowing how sick a population is it's the number of icu admissions the people who are uh, feeling the effects of it enough that they actually get admitted into uh, yeah, get really sick. Care, you know, I mean, the, the really sick people. Yeah. And so, you know, as as that number climbs, that's what starts to make me a little bit apprehensive about our medical uh, capacity. Is as that number climbs, then, well, are we going to be able to handle? Are we going to be able to shift uh, resources enough so that we're able to manage the number of people who are really, really sick? And yeah. At this point in Texas, we are. Um, there's a uh, in Boise, Idaho, where I train. There's a hospital up there that they basically turn the entire hospital into an ICU. I mean, it really, you know. So there's there's there, there's going to be little hot spots and outbreaks from time to time, and everybody's it's kind of day to day. You know, some some medical communities are really going to be struggling and then do okay for a while. Um, and so you just have to watch it. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Markham, thank you so much for coming on with me again today, and I hope to talk to you again here in a couple of weeks and get an update. And as always, we hope things are uh, looking positive in one area or another, you know? Oh, sure thing. Sure yeah. thing. Yeah, happy to discuss it. You know, a lot of these are just my opinion. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you guys can, it's, it's worth what you paid for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Dr. Markham, thank you again. And that was Dr. Benjamin Markham from the Stephenville Medical and Surgical Center. We'll be right back.